Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. It's good to be here. My name is Brandon and uh, my wife Meredith and I together pastor this church, uh, C3 Fort Worth. We are fairly partial to it. We think it's pretty all right, pretty good, pretty good little, little place. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I'm excited about it. If you, did, if you thought Donnie was up here talking about his platform as, as in his title, as in like, I love having a voice to speak to all you common folk. Uh, not true. If you hadn't been here in a minute, we, this stage is brand new. We just got, it just got built this week. And uh, it's not quite finished yet. But, but um, especially for guys like Donnie, it's really nice to be lifted up above others. And... Um, I think John is now, I think they're good. Yeah. Now maybe John doesn't have to, John and Steve don't have to hide off to the side anymore. Um, but but th- listen, here's the thing. There was one person and another who helped a lot, but there was one person who was up here, I think starting Monday, and was, I, in fact, I got a text Thursday night. He had just gotten home at like 11 o'clock and said, hey, all right, we got this left to do. And, um, and I just, we wanted to make sure he did not do it because... Uh, well, he just did it out of the goodness of his own heart, bought the materials, but, um, but then put everything else together on his own time, and uh, he's a busy guy, and uh, has months booked out, which is fantastic, and he took a week to do this, and so I just wanted to give a massive, massive amount of props uh, to Ryan. Is he here, or is he too wiped out to be here? Oh, he's in the back. Okay. Ryan, come here, man. Come on up. Come on up. Um, Come on, man. So Ryan, Ryan was uh, Ryan was up here all week, and uh, and we did have a gift for you. I want to give this to you, and uh, and make sure that you take your wife out on a good night to eat, and um, but and a little something for just you, a little like tool action or something. Um, but I did, man. Just real quick, because because I I think it's weird that you would spend all your week doing this. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's. I know it's something you enjoy doing. I heard your wife just yell. Uh, and then your wife was at your wife was at the homeless outreach that Heather did yesterday. So you've been gone all week, and then you come home, and then she goes. Um, tell me why doing this was important to you, and maybe even what your story of being a part of C3 Forward has meant for the two of you guys. Uh, yeah, this. Um, I get just just the feeling that the love I get from y'all that I need to put forward to help you guys out as best as I can, and my ability is what I got. Um, as a follower of Christ, and knowing he's a carpenter, so, you know, I do my best to help each other out. He helped people, I help people, so we're just here together and just a love from you guys. Thank you. Um, and his uh, partner in crime, Daniel Holbrook, where you at, dude? Oh, he's all the way in the back. Give it up for Daniel Holbrook. We do have a gift for you too, sir. Um, and and uh, it's up here a couple days helping Ryan out. And I was I was noticing like we got Emily Gambles in Egypt and Cairo right now. We got uh, my parents are in San Diego. Um, they are uh, well, our, our whole family's from the West Coast, so they are. Um, but my little cousin's getting married today. And I'm not there because I loved you guys too much. Um, 
No, but sort of that. But um, <laughs> I know you guys, we, we, I, Mary and I have been out bike riding the last two days, which is not normal. But we did it because the weather called for it. And it's only here for like four more days. So enjoy it while you can. Um, but I'm excited about it. My son, my four-year-old who won't go to kids' church this morning, ran, a, ran it to the house, 100-yard football return touchdown yesterday. So excited about that. Great, I'm talking about you, dude. I know, exactly, exactly. Uh, a lot of good things happening. I do want to let you guys know that next week is Easter Sunday. Um, if you didn't know that by now, based on all the Instagram ads you've been getting um, from pastors, I was going to put out an ad that had like all of you guys saying, hi, I'm not the pastor of C3 Fort Worth, and I invite you to church. Um, I thought it might be cheeky. Um, and uh, uh, we actually almost did, two years ago, we almost did a recycling program for all the all the things that get put at your door on the lead up to Easter. If you bring your church invite, we will give you a free donut. Um, I'm just here to stir up trouble. Uh, but hey, it is next weekend. Now here's the thing, Easter is not a Sunday. Easter is a journey. Easter is a weekend. Easter starts really today, Palm Sunday. Kind of started yesterday with the last Saturday, Lazarus Saturday, which is the day that Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave. Palm Sunday is a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And subsequently, there are days that follow that lead up to Easter Sunday. Uh, there's a, one word. Some of you guys grew up in, in mainline tradition. You would have known this word. If you don't, it's okay. Uh, Maundy Thursday, which is the Last Supper. It's the Passover. That's the day that Jesus gets with his disciples and begins to talk about what's to come. He's been kind of hinting. They aren't getting it, so he has to say it again because they were all guys. And, um, and so, uh, so Maundy Thursday is, uh, is the Last Supper. And then Friday is Good Friday. Obviously, there's a lot wrapped up into that word, Good Friday. It is the day that the victory was won. It was both the greatest day in the life of Jesus and the worst. And, um, and so there's this uh, really powerful thing there. Then Saturday, Holy Saturday, is the day of contemplation because for the disciples, they would have never thought this is where they would be, and especially when they watch Jesus ride in on a donkey. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then comes Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And so our Easter weekend, our Good Friday service is not the same service as Sunday. We are not running past the cross. In fact, the King, Jesus, shows himself on the cross all the time. We see Jesus winning the victory on the cross. It's a decisive victory over de death and a definitive revelation of his love for you and I. It is the cross that we point people to that they might obtain resurrection life. The resurrection doesn't come before death. It comes after. And so our Good Friday service will be unique will be special. It will be different than Resurrection Sunday. Our desire is that you would be brought into the experience of the disciples to have your view of what you thought God was going to do, of what you thought Jesus was going to do when he rode into the city, palm branches and all. Kind of begin to be peeled away to realize what Jesus is actually doing in you and I. I don't know if you've ever gotten your view of Jesus wrong. I don't know if God has ever done it differently than you expected. And then Saturday, to spend Saturday actually thinking about what the cross represents. What did Jesus do on the cross for you and I? And Resurrection Sunday, come in excited because we actually understand what was done. So our 
Good Friday service, 7 o'clock here this Friday night um, at Wednesday night dinner parties, which we do every week at Wednesday night dinner parties. And we actually have another one that started Sunday nights. Uh, so that one's going. That's awesome. Uh, this week, there may be a little hint of Maundy Thursday. It's a little bit ahead. Uh, but getting around the table, we believe we do church and around tables, not just in rows. So community. Uh, sometimes we skip from Jesus to calling and forget community. And I think that's when our calling gets thwarted. I think that's when our calling gets uh, uh, pushed into other places it's not been. And so I would encourage you to be here Friday night, 7 o'clock, and then Sunday morning, 10 a.m., two different services, two distinct services. I'm excited about it. Hey, would you turn to John chapter 12? Thank you, guys. You guys are fantastic. Um, yeah, Chris and Sabrina are out somewhere. You, you, even, you got a family affair. Kyle was the odd one out today. If you don't know this, Donnie just pulled this, just like, y'all should travel. Oh, wait, you are going to do that. Um, the whole Adams family is up here today. Karen was up here for maybe the second time. Come on, give it up over there. It's just amazing. And then Donnie and Ruthie and his two sons, uh, their two sons, uh, were up here, uh, just, just to avoid any confusion. Um, their two sons were up here today leading just fantastic and uh, just really, really excited. Um, give it up for a family that's loving Jesus together. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Um, John chapter 12. So today is Palm Sunday. It's officially the end of Lent season. We've been uh, observing Lent together. Again, I'm just going to keep emphasizing this. We've never done Lent together as a church. We've never done the church calendar uh, as a church. Uh, the church at, at large in Western culture doesn't do much of the church calendar. And for a lot of us who've grown up in this style of church, uh, you, you hear about Advent, and then you hear about Easter, and that's about it. Uh, but really, Advent is the beginning of the year. So we made the joke last year that we ended 2020 early, uh, because technically, uh, Advent is the beginning of the new year in the church calendar. And the calendar, for so many of us, tells you where you're from. If you celebrate independence on July 4th, you're probably an American. Right? So there are things that you put on your calendar that say so much about who you are and where you're from and what you believe in. And so we've, we kind of made the decision this year to give it a go. And so we did Advent, Christ the King Sunday, the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving, three Sundays after an election. And so we were like, Christ is still king. It doesn't matter who you voted for. Um, and so we, we did that, then Advent, then we moved into Epiphany, then we're into Lent season. All these words are fairly new to me. Uh, and then we are now moving into what you would call Easter time. In the church calendar, Easter is not a weekend even. In the church calendar, it's five weeks. Uh, Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and then up until Pentecost Sunday, up until the day that the Holy Spirit shows up in Acts chapter 2, uh, you are still reeling or figuring out or processing or living in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the, so the journey after Easter and it's why we're calling uh, this weekend and really the weekends after, uh, after midnight, is because after Easter there should be this kind of continual progressive uh, change that begins to happen in you and I as we begin to orient our life around the resurrection of Christ. Because the resurrection of Christ is the thing that validates even, in so many ways, proves. It's why when Jesus heals the man that's lowered down into the, in, onto the floor, Jesus, first thing he does is what? Forgive. Again, anticlimactic, a little bit disappointing for the guy who just got trudged up a, a, a building and then lowered down on some kind of pulley system, and then Jesus forgives him. He's looking for something else, right? Looking for like maybe get up and walk kind of thing. 
And he set up the Pharisees, and the Pharisee says, you can't forgive. And he goes, ah, I was waiting for you to say that. Let me prove that I can forgive by healing. And so what Jesus does on the cross is begin to work out this thing on us where we begin to understand the grace in which he lives towards us, and then on top of that begin to live in the healing. Remember we said John 3.16, the most quoted verse in all the Bible, is preceded by John 3.14, one of the least quoted verses in all the Bible, which says that I will be lifted up like a snake in the wilderness. How many of you guys have used that with your friends? Anybody? No one. Okay. What is that referencing? It's a weird story out of Numbers 21. And yes, it's okay. There are weird things in the Bible. And if you've never said that, you're just, you're just trying to cover it up. There are weird things in the Bible. And, and so it says that, the, that, that you will be healed if the snake is risen up because they'd all been bitten by snakes. I told you it was weird. And so Jesus is referencing a story that they would have read and says, when I am lifted up, you would find healing. Too often people look at the cross as a place of judgment. The cross is a place where when you look upon Jesus on the cross, you are healed of shame and guilt, pain, hurt. There's a healing that should happen when you look upon the cross. And so, uh, so what we're in right now is we lead up to Easter Sunday and, and really Easter time. And then after that's Pentecost Sunday and what they would church calendar would just call ordinary time. What does that mean? It means live like the Holy Spirit's in your life. And live like that should be ordinary. Live like that's normal. What does it look like for you to live with the Holy Spirit moving in your life, leading you towards people, loving people? And so I wanted to just emphasize what we're doing this week. Again, Wednesday, we got prayer. We've been doing that. This will be the last Wednesday prayer. We might throw it in every once in a while because I've enjoyed it. Uh, live prayer here uh, on Wednesdays at noon. Uh, scoot over for your, scoot over, scoot over for your skiddly do. Uh, scoot on over for your prayer time at 12 on Wednesday, and uh, you can join us live, or you can, uh, you can come and be here in the building. Uh, it'd be fantastic. It's our last one uh, as we observe Lent, and then uh, obviously Wednesday night dinner parties, Good Friday, and then Sunday morning Easter, and we are doing an Easter egg hunt uh, across the street at Berry Street Ice House, because of course you would do an Easter egg hunt at a bar. Uh, but they've got a whole, they've got a whole grass, huge grass field. And let me just be honest with you. I was texting with a pastor who's in our city today, or this week. And uh, he goes, well, I'm not going to share that. I'll share that someday. Uh, but, but I just, I, listen, 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 listen. Jesus, um, Jesus met people where they were. And we do this weird thing where we think Jesus, like, hated Pharisees. No, Jesus spent his life correcting them, but he also ate with them. Jesus, Jesus built relational equity with all the people that he was doing his best to bring to life. So, so we don't get in this weird place where we can't go to that place. Of course, there's wisdom and discernment. Please don't get me wrong there. There's understanding, especially even on an individual level, of the places and things that you should not be a part of. That, that's where we get it wrong in the church. We, we tend to make uh, personal conviction public doctrine. Well, we tend to make, well, what John's conviction is about this particular thing, and we tend to go, well, you should all live according to that. We're kind of doing that in culture, aren't we? We got fundamentalists on both sides saying, you, this is how I think about it. This is how you should live. It's weird. And both of them have their own redemption story. Both of them have their own way of saying, this is how you make penance for this, and this is how you will be justified, and this is how you, it's all religious speak. And Jesus is speaking against all the fundamentalists. 
Across the board, he's throwing tables over to make room for the Gentiles because the Jews thought they had the monopoly on salvation. Jesus' temple courts throwing over the tables was a prophetic act as much as it was a, a righteous anger act. It was him saying, hey, you're in the Gentile court allow, not allowing the people to get in here to pray. Jesus is in the furthest place away from the center of the temple, flipping tables, saying, hey, we're making room for a new group of people to come in to the presence of God. That's what we should be doing now. It, the only tables we should flip are not the relational ones, but the ones that are hindering relationship. Okay, let's get into the word. I'm off my little, well, I'm not. I'm on, this is now my, this is now my, my platform, as Donnie would say. <laughs> oh, man, I love this church. I love you guys. I love what we're doing here. And, um, and you can text all the people who didn't show up today and say, how dare you? Uh, but I love that you guys are here. I love that we're here on Palm Sunday. Um, I mean, John's wife is out antiquing all week long. They got an entire trailer that they're shipping here. He's just shaking his head. Um, but I love, I love it. I got to spend some time with Emma because he's working on something for our Good Friday service this week. Um, I got to see Ryan and Daniel. I, I just love what's happening in our church. I love the, 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 the heart. I love the community. I love, uh, I, love the, the, I love that we got students coming from TCU and we got uh, families coming from Fairmount. I think the church should be the most diverse place in the world, and not just by skin color, although that should be it as well. I think there should be demographically all across the board, rich, poor. I feel like there should be suburban and city. I believe there should be families and single. I think it should just, I think it should look like heaven, and heaven is just not going to all look like one thing. The worst thing we do in church is make you dress like the guy who's up here. And some of you are like, thank God. We talked about it last week. The Greeks went and asked Philip to see Jesus. Why? Because they felt familiarity with him. Don't be someone you're not because you will lose familiarity with the people you're meant to reach. I've always thought I could walk into a coffee shop and tell you who the Christians were. And, and I'm, not, I'm not being me. I'm, I'm not, honestly, I, I'm that guy as well. I'm just telling you that sometimes we, we all try to dress like other Christians that we lose our familiarity with the people that we're trying to show Jesus to. So be Jesus wherever you've, placed, wherever you've been placed, like Adam in the garden. Cultivate the soil that's in front of you. Water it. Make, it. make it grow. Because what God's given you is different than what he's given me, and you should be okay with that. I should be okay with that. You don't need to look like me, talk like me. Thank God you don't, because I argue a lot. I'd be annoying. All right, John chapter 12. Let's jump into the Bible, because that's what we're here for. I've been talking too much. They keep telling me that the reason we go a little long is because I end up talking 12 minutes at the front of every message. So let's get into John chapter 12 because we do need to cover a few different things. And I think today's message is so culturally relevant. It matters so much to what we're doing today. Most of us have talked about this story uh, in, in, in one particular way, which is not wrong. It's actually very much right. But there are other elements and layers to it that I wanted and hopefully uh, could share with you. And I want to tell you that I'm learning these things. I'm growing in these things. I've been preaching for 20 years. I turned 40 in January. I know you didn't think that was true. And I, I've, been, I, I, I've been preaching stuff all the time. And I'm, there's things that are coming alive in my heart and spirit lately that has been just been so good. It's been so refreshing. And so I hope the same is happening for you. 
So John chapter 12, this is one of the most abbreviated accounts of the triumphal entry, the, the most abbreviated accounts of Jesus going into Jerusalem. Passover has started. There's two and a half million people in Jerusalem. This is a big deal. This is like the Super Bowl of festivals. Now, remember, festivals are set up so that the people of Israel will never forget who God is. Because how many of you know you can make your way further and further away from who God is? And so you need those reminders. John, Donnie mentioned it this morning. So often, one of the great reasons we forget, or sorry, one of the great reasons we don't live in faith is because we have forgotten what God has already done. So much of uh, Moses actually has this moment where he says, I just, I want you to remember what God has done. When our memory of who God is and what he has done begins to fade, our faith for what he can do and what he will do begins to fade. And so these festivals are set up so that the people of Israel, as they scatter abroad, would come back to a central place and remember the goodness of God. So the Passover is out of the story of Exodus, right? The story of Exodus, the people are being emancipated from Egypt. They're being set free from Egypt. And, and the last sign was the Passover. You would, you would uh, put blood over the doorway, and the angel of death would pass over your house. Okay? And uh, again, you guys are like, wow, these hadn't read those in a while. These are crazy. Okay. So the, 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 the blood would, would keep the angel of death coming from your house, and that was the last sign. So they celebrated Passover being the time that the angel of death passed over the people of Israel on their way to freedom. And so Jesus, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of fitting that Passover would be the time when Jesus both enters and is crucified. And the most abbreviated account is in John chapter 12. Uh, you can find every, uh, every gospel references and talks about this moment. It's a, a significant moment in the life of Jesus and in the life of the church. And so John chapter 12, verse 12, says this. It says, the next day when a large crowd, and by large we really do mean large, um, you know, couple million people most likely uh, have ascended on uh, Jerusalem, descended on Jerusalem, and uh, they are having a party. They are celebrating. Had come to the festival, heard that Jesus was coming. Jesus was on his way. This is a big deal, right? Everybody hears Jesus. Jesus is coming. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, Psalm 118, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one the king of Israel. So they are making a declaration about who Jesus is. And Jesus found a young donkey, sat on it, just as it, is, as it is written in Ezekiel. Fear no more. In Ezekiel, it would have said, rejoice greatly. Some say that John is just trying to kind of just baby step us towards what Jesus is doing. Fear no more is like just one notch below rejoice greatly, but they're ultimately meant to mean the same thing. How many of you know that fear gets in the way of joy? Right? When you're in like a spectacular moment, but it's a little dangerous, and so all you can think about is the fear and not the joy of whatever moment you're in. It's like when, you, when my family went to the Grand Canyon and my dad pulled a couple messed up tricks on my mom, making her think she fell. Right? And now no longer could she enjoy this amazing, beautiful work of art in front of her. All she could think about is something going wrong. Fear can lock us up in the joy that we're meant to experience, whether it be fear of who we are and our own identity, fear of the next step of our journey, fear in how something's going to work out. Our joy often is limited by the fear that we allow ourselves to live in. 
So rejoice greatly, or fear no more, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, remember that glorification both means in his ascending to heaven, but also his ascending on the cross. When Jesus was glorified on the cross, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So this is a big moment. Jesus is showing up on a donkey. He's announcing that he's king using a, a prophetic word from Ezekiel. He's showing up and saying, this is me. I'm here. I, I've arrived. Now again, and you've heard this probably said, but the people of Israel thought when he said something like that, when this moment happened, they were not thinking crucifixion. They were not thinking death. They were not thinking cross, which is the most humiliating way to die in ancient times. They were not thinking those things. They were thinking someone of military might or of political clout. They were thinking someone was going to overthrow the system. And he does, he just does it differently than they had expected. Again, Jesus doesn't like the boxes we build. And so Jesus is showing up, and he's on a donkey. Now, I've heard this preached a bunch of different ways, but Jesus shows up. Now, Now some would say, uh, in some other gospel accounts, they talk about Jesus, the one who raised Lazarus. I want you to read the way William Barclay describes the way this moment is probably playing out. William Barclay is one of my favorite commentators on the Bible, and he says, news and rumor had gone out that Jesus, the man who had raised Lazarus from the dead, was on his way to Jerusalem. There were two crowds, the crowd which is accompanying Jesus from Bethany and the crowd which surged out from Jerusalem. And they must have flowed together in a surging mass like two tides. Now, Jesus was coming riding on an ass's colt. I apologize. It was in there. I read it. It's in the thing. Y'all don't even know what kind of things I wanted to title this sermon. As the crowds met him, they received him like a conqueror. And the sight of the tumultuous, de- oh, sorry, the, and, and the sight of this tumultuous welcome sent the Jewish authorities into the depths of despair. For it seemed that nothing they could do could stop the tide of people who had gone after Jesus. This is an incident so important that we must try to understand just what was happening. Now, just because it needs to be mentioned, the palm branches symbolize victory, triumph, peace. This is how you would welcome a king. This is how you would welcome a victorious one. So this, again... You can see the Jews setting themselves up for a place where they thought Jesus was going to come in at Passover of all times, right at the Super Bowl of festivals, Jesus is going to show up and declare his victory. And this is the first time Jesus welcomes the spotlight. Every other time Jesus does something, what does he do? He says, hey, don't tell anybody. It's not my time yet. It's not the moment yet. Don't let anybody. Have anybody ever wondered why? Why do you not? Why? Why do you not want me to tell people about the good things I, you've done? Like you healed me. I don't want. And they usually still told people. It's just kind of. That's why he's got a crowd. Like, how many of you know? If you you know you got you woke up from uh, death, or like you you hadn't been walking for ten years, and all of a sudden you're walking. I don't know. You probably don't even have to tell people. They probably notice. Right? Something's different. But this is the first time Jesus tells his disciples to go get. A donkey, bring it to me. We're making an entrance. So Jesus has obviously shifted something. He did the, the tables. He's, done, he's now saying this is the moment. So Jesus shows up on a donkey. And I don't know about you. Uh, I want to I focus in on two 
primary characters in this story. No, one of them is not Jesus. We'll talk about Jesus in a moment. Um, and it's not the palm branches. Um, I want to focus on the donkey, and I want to focus on the crowd. Because I think these two things tell us a lot about who we are and about who Jesus is. I think these tell us a lot more than we think. In most cases, uh, we seem to be stuck right now, currently, in the midst of crowds. Two crowds, maybe there's more. Crowds of people, all of them shouting something. Some, uh, some church historians would say this, because how many of you have ever heard the phrase, uh, uh, one crowd yelled, hail him, and that same crowd yelled, kill him. Right? And that very well may be true. But there's also enough evidence to support, and it's an idea, right? 2.7 million Jews in the city. There's also evidence to support. Uh, many historians would say this, that these are two distinct crowds. In fact, William Barclay kind of alludes to this in a little bit. But, but there's two different crowds. The crowd that welcomed him and the triumphal entry and the crowd that ultimately yelled, crucify him. There, there obviously are probably some who ended up in both places, but there's enough idea that maybe, just maybe, these were two different crowds. And I don't know about you, but I feel very stuck between right now. Several different crowds all yelling something different. All screaming something different. We, we all as believers, listen, I want to just keep emphasizing this and keep telling you this. We are not people who live according to the story of this world. We are people who present a very different story. We do not win the world through even logic and reason. We win the world through beauty and being able to present a story that is better than the story being offered to most people. We have a counter-narrative. We have a narrative that speaks differently. Jesus' death on the cross is at a counter-narrative to every kind of narrative that you get presented when it comes to victory or winning or this is how you have power. It, it all shifts and changes with Jesus on the cross. This is a different story that we are asking people to walk into. And I don't know about you, but I feel like right now there are crowds all over the place shouting and yelling and asking for my allegiance. Telling me that if I don't, and if I haven't, and if I won't, then I am somehow, somewhere along the way, doing something wrong. Anybody? No, you guys are acting like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. And this is maybe not abnormal to history, but it's a bit unique in the sense that we are seeing a, uh, a communication shift that is new in the last, probably the greatest shift since the, the printed press, right? That, like, there's, there's just been no greater shift in communication than social media and these things that we see all the time. And so we get ourselves caught. I don't, some of you guys may have even started to post something and then stopped. Some of you have maybe even started a conversation and like, maybe I shouldn't have that conversation. And because you, you, you found these people, and I think most people are trying their best to do their best and to say their best and speak their best and not knowing where they should speak up and where they should share. Part of it is because the, this kind of uh, creeping um, a belief system, this idealism that has allowed us to call those who don't believe what I believe bad and those who do good. So if you're with me, you're a good person. If you're not with me, you're a bad person. And somehow dividing these things up as though everything you believe is now good because you believe what I believe. And everything you do, everything, you're, you're a bad person if you're not with me on this. And we don't want to admit the complexity and the nuance of life. 
And so many of us are caught in this place where, where we've almost at times begun to find ourselves picking one crowd because either they're louder or we got more friends in it, or maybe I just don't really want to argue anymore. We find ourselves in these places where we, 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 we're not sure what we should present, what we should say, the things that we should bring up, the things that we should talk about, the things that, how do we present Jesus in a place where he doesn't fit in all the crowds? How do we, how do we make sure people see Jesus when, when I'm not sure the crowd that needs him the most would welcome him? Well, let me just say this. Every crowd needs him. And and Jesus is trying to present himself, and we as the church should be presenting this, this different story. I actually, there's a book called The Wisdom of Crowds. Uh, there's another book called The Madness of Crowds, and they're both right. But I wanted to tell you what makes a crowd wise. I want you to tell you what this book says makes a crowd wise. I'm just going to give you a couple things that make this crowd wise. Five things needed to make a crowd wise. Here you go. The first three to make a crowd intelligent. Number one, diversity of opinion. Individuals must draw different backgrounds and beliefs. Number two, independence. Individuals' opinion must, not, must be independent and not swayed by the group. So it is not saying that you should just go with whatever the crowd's saying. It's saying you should bring your own individual beliefs to the crowd. Decentralization. Next two, what makes a crowd functional? Aggregation, there must be a system in which you get all of these thoughts and opinions and beliefs and all these things together. And the last one, trust. Trust. You should have trust. I don't know. Seems like it's a bit fleeting these days. Trust. That you could trust that the other crowd or that the people in the crowd are there for your best interest. So when we get into these crowd arguments, it is not to lose your identity. It is not to lose who you are. It is actually to bring who you are to the table. One of the things I loved about when we did Alpha over the last several weeks is that everybody got to speak and bring something to the table. And they were different than maybe what everybody else thought, and we all learned from it. We all grew from it. I'm telling you right now, if you ask Steve what his biggest thing was, is that, man, I stopped assuming that when I walked in the store, everybody believed everything I believed. And realizing that, that everybody in this room has different experiences and different things. I'm not telling you that we are, don't believe in the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus like he talks about in Colossians. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that we all are on different journeys and are coming either from Bethany or Jerusalem or somehow we ended up in the courts that, that sentenced Jesus to death. And somehow we've ended up in different crowds at different times in different places and we all have to find a different story because none of these are working out. We have to trust that God actually did make all of us, that we all are image bearers, that we're not all just one bad or one good. We all have a little bit of good and a little bit of bad, and we all need it to be redeemed by Jesus. Because here's the thing that you need to understand about Jesus. Both the guys that walked with him from Bethany, the people who welcomed him with palm branches into Jerusalem, and the people found on the inner courts who said, crucify him, Jesus didn't make any of them happy. He did not do what they expected him to do. Jesus did not please the crowds. See, the guys welcoming him from Bethany thought he was going to be a political leader, a military leader. He was going to win by force and by might. And the people who said crucify him like the Pharisees were dis disrupted by the fact that he was ascending to power and they weren't. They were losing a little bit of what they had, to the power that they were pushing on to other people and the rules and the things. And, and they were losing that and they were starting to get upset. 
And in neither case did Jesus make them happy by, by going, oh, you're right. You know what? You're right. The political thing would be a better move here. And he didn't, he didn't go up to the crucifixion. He voluntarily walked into Jerusalem, voluntarily showed up in this city, knowing what was to come. And he did it anyways. Knowing he was going to be, and he didn't reject it. He didn't run from it. He didn't hide from it. That is what courage looks like. Courage is giving your life for another. That's what love looks like. That's why love is courageous. It takes courage to love people well. It takes boldness. It, it takes a little bit of endurance. Come on, 1 Corinthians 13. It takes forgiving people, of keeping no record of wrong, even when they do post something that's a little bit disagreeable. It is loving everyone through their mess because, my goodness, you and I need it too. So there's the crowds. Some of you are stuck in the middle of crowds. That's okay. Stop trying to please them. Don't please the crowd. You will never please God by pleasing the crowd. Now, you can serve God by serving the crowd, but you never please them by pleasing the crowd. In fact, Paul talks about this in Galatians. Right in Galatians, Paul talks about this. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What's he talking about? He came and preached free grace. He came and preached this abundant grace. And then there's some guys who came in behind him and started saying, yeah, you'll get that if you do this. Why are you turning away so quickly from this free grace? Why are you turning away from this gospel? He doesn't even spend time greeting them. He only does five verses. In most letters, it's like a whole first chapter. It's like, hey, how you doing? You good? This one, it's like, hey, stop it. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you. Come on, they're troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. Paul's going in. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Paul's telling you that you can say Jesus is the answer right now, and it works. It actually works. Because postmodernism, post-Christianity is falling in on itself. And the problem is if the church doesn't stand up in Christ, not ideologies, not some political system, if they don't stand up in Christ, we will implode too. Because now we're going with the wind and the waves of doctrine of every other man. No, no, no. We stand up in the grace, not the different gospel that says you got to do this and this and this before you can walk in those doors. We stand in Christ, the free gift of grace. If you look upon the cross, you'll be healed. Shame and guilt is gone. You are redeemed in the Savior's love for you. There is no other greater definition of love than the cross. There is no other greater victory than the cross. This ugly, beat up king on a cross saying, I love you regardless, no matter what. Hey, sinner, you're going to be with me in paradise today. That's what this is for. Paul keeps writing, for I am, for am I now trying to win the favor of people? He knows he said some harsh stuff. Or am I striving to please people? No, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave or servant of Christ. Now I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not based on human thought. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation from Jesus. Listen, we are not going to be people who satisfy every crowd. We aren't. 
We're not going to satisfy. We can go into one crowd and go, I see what you're saying there. Paul did that. Paul went into uh, to, to the, the city's worship centers, not the temple, but he went into the places that had idols and said, okay, all right, I see that one, I see that one, I see that one, I see that. You know this one that you have labeled the unknown God? That's the one true God. Not the statue, but what you're trying to explain and sort out and figure out, that's, that's the one true God I'm trying to tell you about. Paul didn't run from discussions like that. He engaged them and walked people from one thing to the next and said, oh, I get what you're saying. I understand what you're trying to get at. And at and, and, and some point, there's going to be a limit because you built a wooden idol. And at some point, that thing's not going to be able to save you. You've you got to serve a living God. Let me tell you about him. You can go into any crowd. You don't need to please them. You need to serve them. You need to bring Jesus into whatever situation and place you find yourself in. I'm going to do this last part really fast. And uh, I put some sermon title options on my Instagram stories. Some of you are not good people because you picked the one that was meant to be cheeky and not appropriate. I thought there was free grace. Why are you turning from a gospel? The crowds. And then there's the donkey. Because there's one of these in every crowd. I'm not going to say it, babe. Mayor told me to say it. I'm not going to say it. But there is a donkey in every crowd. Now, I want you to understand something. Many of us have been preached about the donkey. We've been told about the donkey, sorry, that we, that the donkey represents this lowly, servant, humble, right, like, this, this, this kind of, I'm coming in humbly, and that's true. This is not wrong. But there's another side of this, because if you look through the Old Testament, there's multiple stories of men and women writing in of royalty or of wealth. These people who are very uh, high in order in that time, riding in on a donkey. One, because it's most comfortable. It's a nice, it's a nice, it's like better than a horse or camp. It's like, it's just more comfortable. But, but two, when you rode in on a donkey, um, it wasn't just this lowly, servant-minded thing. When you rode in on a donkey, you were riding in with peace on your mind. See, if you rode in with a horse, you were bent on war. If you rode in on a donkey, you, you were coming in peace. And Jesus knows that in six days he's going to be put on a cross. And he's showing up, not on a horse, while they sing Hosanna. Here comes the king to set us free, to make a way. And Jesus shows up on a donkey. Royalty, yes. King, yes. But I'm coming in peace. I'm not coming to destroy people. I'm not coming to hurt people. Tasker says this, they greeted Jesus as a king, though ignorant of the nature of his kingship. It would seem that they looked upon him as a potential nationalist leader with whose help they might be able to become wholly independent of foreign powers. Sounds like every political leader. Here's the thing about donkeys. They get a bad rap. Donkeys can be trained, it says. That I, I looked it up. I looked up donkeys. Now I'm going to pray here in a moment. But I looked up donkeys. I wanted to find out more about donkeys. Finds out that, uh, to, to come to find out that donkeys can be trained to do pretty much anything a horse can do. They just have to be trained differently. In other words, um, let me think about it like this. On the other side of town, there was a king who on his coins would say, we're bringing peace 
that the only way he knew how to bring peace was to wipe out your culture, to wipe out your people, and to put his flag in the middle of the city. His peace came through violence and the sword. That kind of peace is temporary. That kind of peace only lasts as long as the person enforcing it can keep it. That kind of peace doesn't always work. And Jesus showed up on a donkey said, I'm bringing peace. And this donkey can do anything your horse can do, but it's going to look different. It's going to be trained different. I'm going to walk into crowds differently. I'm going to show up. I'm not going to rule with fear, but with sacrificial love. Which one takes more courage? I'm not going to rule through force, but through the power of God. I'm not going to win by killing everyone else. I'm going to win by dying for all of them. The cross is victory. What kind of procession are we going to be part of? Are we going to be part of the procession that tries to ride in on a horse and dominate and win? Or are we going to be the kind of people that ride in on a donkey and bring Jesus into the crowds through peace and hope and grace and strength and faith and love and realize that one of them actually takes an immense amount of courage, the kind that you only get from Jesus. Crowd and the donkey. What does it look like as we think about Resurrection Sunday, as we think about what we're walking into? How do we see Jesus now? Yes, lowly, servant, humble. That's why he was baptized by John the Baptist. I, I get it. But he was also writing in, making a point, that while I am your king, I have come to serve. That's why when you read Genesis 2, God says rule and reign. He is not telling you to dominate. He's telling you to cultivate. He's telling you to bring heaven, to make heaven, to cultivate heaven on the earth. Because the kingdom is a reflection of the king. Why don't you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are here and you are near and you are with us. And while, of course, there are moments where strength, those things show up, of course. God, I pray that as we navigate the crowds of culture right now, as we navigate the opinions and the ideologies and all the things that get thrown at us on a daily basis, as we navigate those things, God, I pray that we would be like our Savior Jesus who comes in on a donkey and wins via sacrificial love. and says, I will show my strength by giving my life fully and completely for those, even those who would shout, crucified. God, I pray that we would, in this moment, in our culture, in our city, in the streets and hearts of Fort Worth, God, I pray that we would be like Jesus. And I pray some of those in this room today, God, I pray that there would be peace in the storms and the difficulties of life, peace in the places that are causing disruption and difficulty and challenge, relationally, in all kinds of areas. Lord, we pray peace. 
because you brought peace. And you brought it in a way that no one could deny. So God, I thank you for it. I'm going to just lead you in a prayer. I just want to ask you today, if you go, you know what, I, I'm seeing Jesus just, man, just a little bit differently today. I want to see him more. And I want to walk with him. A simple prayer, just like we prayed earlier, come Holy Spirit, I want to just teach you another one. It's another one. It's really easy. It's really easy. If you want today, right now, just say, walk. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to walk with that Jesus. I want to be part of that procession. I want to be a part of that, bringing heaven into earth that way. That's how I want to do it. I want to walk free of shame and guilt. I want to look upon the cross and find healing and hope. If that's you today, I just want you to pray this prayer. God, I give my life to you. That's it. Jesus, I give my life to you. All my sin, all my failure, all my past, all my stuff, all my future, all my plans, all my dreams, all my visions. Jesus, I give my life to you. I hold nothing back. I give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand up as we close in worship?